Officer Lindsay today. Thank you. Those Rice Krispie treats are awesome. Math Matthew, can, can you make sure you save me one? Okay. I really wanted one, but I thought if I tried to eat it in that space in between, it would just not be good. So just, yeah, save me one because they look really awesome. I love Rice Krispie treats. Well, I tell you what, this morning, oh, yes. Thank you so much. That'll help keep me on time, guys. That'll help keep me on time. <laughs> um, this morning we start out, you know, I am actually, I'm starting my, this is my 10th year of teaching. I'm starting this year as a teacher. I really don't believe that I'm old enough to have been doing anything that adulty for that long. Um, but apparently I am. Um, so, you know, I, I appreciate as a teacher, there's, there's so much that goes into being a teacher. And um, so the story that we're going to be coming out of the Bible today is one of my favorite teacher stories in the Bible. We're going to see one of the most epic teacher fails ever by one of, one of our founding fathers in the faith, Paul, who was a great and mighty man and wrote many, many great works and passages of Scripture, but yet he too also struggled when it came to teenagers. And so we're going to find that out. Y'all didn't know that, but let me tell you, teenagers have been giving people trouble since the beginning of time. So um, I'm going to read this little passage of Scripture today out of Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. How many of you have seen this little picture going around? It's like a meerkat or something. The meerkat's falling asleep, and it says, when your pastor starts preaching at church, and the meerkat's like, like falling over. I know some of you were laughing at that, but you didn't want to share it because you're friends with Pastor Jeremy on Facebook, and that would have, you shared it with him. Yeah, so, you know, you think those things would be awkward, but yeah. It's, it's true. We've all been in church for long enough to know. For some of us, some of you, the first time you get still during the week is on Sunday morning during church. And boy, after worship, it's just nice to sit still. But Acts chapter 20, you're going to see why I'm referencing this meerkat today. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Mm -hmm. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eustace. Now, I looked this up. Eustace would have been between the ages of 8 and 14. Okay? Sitting in the window was a young man named Eustace, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. <laughs> y'all know what I, yeah. See, y'all are like, y'all know, right? Everybody's had this, we've been in these sermons or in this classroom with the teacher, right? Who is talking on and on, right? When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Mm -hmm. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, let me tell you, as a teacher, I have had many crazy things happen in my classroom. In fact, this week, Miss Haley got to pull paper out of someone's eardrum. And ladies and gentlemen, that was a high schooler. So... I'm just saying. As a teacher, there's all kinds of stories. In fact, I asked Jeremy, I said, can you think of like a funniest thing that's ever happened in your class? And he said, not that's appropriate to share with the whole church. 
And I thought, okay. So as a teacher, there are lots of things that happen. Okay, and my, my friend Jordan over here, I'm going to share it because it's, it's one of my favorites. I'll, I'll leave out some of the details, but he had a young lady in his class, a middle schooler, who was upset with what he had assigned her to do. Now, Jordan is like six foot a lot. And this little girl in middle school, little bitty girl, walked up to him and in some not nice, nice words, kicked him square in the shin. Now, of course, he sent her to the office. But it was so funny hearing him tell the story about how he was trying not to laugh. As she was so mad that she had kicked her teacher in the shin, but she's this big, right? And he's all the way up here. It was just, you, you never know what could happen when you're teaching kids. But one of the reasons I love this story is because I think Paul is probably one of the best teachers, Right? I mean, the words that he wrote to us in the Bible are some of the most profound to our faith. And yet, even Paul couldn't figure out when it was time to stop talking for the teenager. And I don't know that any of us have had quite the experience of a kid falling out the window from boredom and dying as a result of our teaching. And you know, if things had ended there, that might have been the end of Paul's uh, being invited to travel around and speak. That really could have not ended well. And so he had to do something drastic. And thank God he also not only was a great teacher, but walked with the power of the Holy Spirit and was able to raise him back up to the life. But as a teacher, I love to read that story and remind myself (laughs) that even the best teachers have rough class periods. So let's pray really quick as we get into the word. Father, we just thank you so much this morning for being able to gather together. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that there is in your word and how you speak life to us through your word. And today, God, I just ask that as we open up the word together, that you would just speak to our hearts, that each and every person would receive what they have need of today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we've had, every teacher has had lots and lots of moments, but I think one of the things as a teacher we do every year, some of you teachers might get nervous when I say this because you've just been through in-service, but we do what's called professional development. And it is where someone comes in and and tells you all these new things to try in your classroom. And most of the time, you're like, awesome. And it can be really boring, or it could not apply to you at all. And sometimes it's really difficult. Now, sometimes it's great, and professional development, you're just inspired, and you leave, and you're ready to conquer the world. And that's really the goal of it, right? Because you need all of the energy and excitement you can muster as you go in to face a new group of students every year. And so we go through times of professional development. And so today, I really, as you, as students and teachers of the Word of God, because we are all students and teachers when it comes to the Word of God, I want to give you a little professional development today. Um, And I want to talk about the domains of learning. All my teachers are like, I know what that is. The domains of learning, the different ways that we learn. And as a teacher, you learn very early on that you must connect to your students' mind, their emotions, and their actions to what they're learning if it's going to take effect. We have to connect all three. You can't just teach them one way. There's lots, kids learn in lots of different ways. Some students are very visual and you have to show it to them for them to get it. Some students have to work it out themselves with their hands. They have to actually do it for it to make sense to them. 
And some students can read it one time and they've got it. All students learn in very different ways. And you know, in realizing and acknowledging that we were all created by God, we see that that is, must be then a facet of God himself. And that he learns and wants us to learn in, in all different ways. That that's the way he's created us. Now listen, wouldn't it be great if with every student you just wrote it on the board one time and they got it? We'd be done by Christmas. But, you know, that's not the way it works. You have to take it. You have to go deeper. And, and what, as I was beginning to think through this this week, you know, thinking about making my lesson plans diverse, having lots of different options for my students, all these different things, I began to think about my life as a student of the Word of God and, and in walking through my life as a Christian. And I began to see a, a comparison. That we, we are living in a time where we want to diversify for our students but our faith has almost become one-dimensional, in a sense. And we have people who view that a relationship with God is built in the mind. And they focus on theology and a study of the Word. And that is where all of their faith lies. And then there are people who focus only on the emotion of things. And feel as though if they haven't had an emotional encounter in worship or an emotional feeling that they haven't really interacted with God. And that connection to them, to God, is built on their emotions. And then we have a whole new rising part of our, of our culture that is built on actions alone and believe that the key to a relationship with God is service and doing things for other people. And that becomes the most important aspect of their relationship with God. But what we find in education is that you have to have all three. Otherwise, the student does not learn it. So if you don't connect it to their mind and to their emotions where it's relevant to them and their feelings, and if you don't connect it to something that they can go and do, then it will not stick with them long term. And so what we have to understand as students and learners and teachers of the Word of God and living a life for Christ is that it's the same way for us. If it takes all of these different ways for us to learn algebra and literature, then it's also going to take all these different aspects for us to learn and walk out our life with Christ. If reading the Bible was all there was to it, I want to let you know there'd be a vast population in our country that would not have a relationship with God because they cannot read and they cannot comprehend. So I know that there's more to it. Than that. The Word of God has its power and its purpose, but there is more to it. You cannot survive in a relationship with God just by reading your Bible. You can't survive. Your relationship with God can't survive built on living on these mountaintop experiences of where your emotions are all stirred up and you feel something great. And your relationship with God can't survive simply on helping other people and seeing other people be served. It takes everything. And I think we all go through seasons where one area may be a little bit higher than other. And what I just want to challenge you with today is something that I really am challenging myself on is that I have got to become a balanced learner and teacher of the Word of God so that my life can reflect the fullness of God, not just one part of Him. There has to be a three-dimensional 
structure to my relationship with God. One-dimensional things, when you're looking at them, they look pretty and they can even look realistic, but they get blown over very easily. And there has to be a multi-dimension to our relationship with God. So I want to talk a little bit today about the three areas of learning. I know that sounds so boring, and I know it sounds boring because I have been the teacher in professional development when they say, today we're going to talk about the three different ways that your student learns. And I'm like, well, I learn through, I don't know, going to Los Portales. Can we try that? Like, oh. But I think it's important for us to know and explore this. And the first way, and we're going to look at Paul. Remember I said this story with Paul. I want you to imagine Paul as he is teaching the best lesson he has ever teached. Teach it. I just said that. Teached. Taught. Where's my words? Kaylee's like, what? He is, he's teaching the best lesson he's ever taught. Do any of my teachers have this? Like, you have actually spent time preparing for this lesson. You have laid it all out. You have manipulatives. You have everything ready to go. And it is going to be the best lesson you've ever taught. You're like, I wish somebody would come watch me teach today because this is going to be it. And Paul is in there, and he is preaching his heart out. He's about to leave these people, and he wants to make sure it is the best message that is going to impact their life. And people are into it. And then Eustace, the, that kid, that kid, don't say his name out loud, but you all know who he is. You can think of him. If you're not a teacher, think back to that kid in your class, Eustace. And as Paul is preaching this best message he's ever preached, Eustace falls out the window. <sighs> That is so much worse than a cell phone going off, right? Like, boom. Oh, my goodness. And I bet there was somebody said, of course it was Eustace, right? His mama has told him five times not to sit in the window. Still sit in the window. In other words, his name could also be Leo. (laughs) And he has fallen out the window. Man, that puts a damper on the message. But I want to tell you something. We have all been Eustace when it comes to this relationship with God. And we have all thought we were really into it. And then all of a sudden we realize that we are sprawled out broken on the pavement. And we're as far from a healthy relationship with God as we ever could be. And we don't even remember how we got there. Because the last thing we thought, we were listening and we were in tune. And now, without even knowing it, We blinked, and our life is broken on the pavement, and we've all been there. And so we have to actually be aware of our relationship with God. I think one thing that I've discovered in my life, the older that I get, is the need for an awareness of my relationship with God, that I cannot take it for granted, and that it requires work. You know, you hear often about being a parent requires work. And everybody talks about how much work a marriage takes, right? But you know what? Your relationship with God takes work. It does. It requires you to put some effort into it and to consider it valuable. And so I want to look at that today. And the first domain of our relationship with God is cognitive, which means knowledge. Knowledge is important. Look, you need to know stuff, right? Like it is important for you to know stuff. We had a student, I'll just, she was literally the, the valedictorian of her school. And um, 
her school shall remain nameless, as shall she and any teacher who had her. It is not your fault. Something was missed somewhere. And she was walking through the parking lot with her mother, valedictorian, 4.0 GPA. And she looked down at a license plate, and she said, Iowa. And her mom said, you mean Ohio? And she said, ah, same thing. You just pronounce them different. And her mom said, no. No, that says Ohio. And then there's another state, Iowa. And she was like, no, people just pronounce them differently. So her mother pulled up a map of the United States on her phone to show her valedictorian daughter that there were two states, one named Iowa and one Ohio. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, we need to know stuff. We just need to know. (laughs) So when a student says, I will never use algebra, why do I have to take this? Because you need to know stuff. Like, you just need to know, okay? There's a, there's, it's just important for our knowledge to be built. The Bible talks about the importance of knowledge. Listen, sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. I mean, right? Y'all have read, like, Numbers, Lamentations, Leviticus? Yeah, my Bible kids, if they don't pay attention in class, they have to do a study on Leviticus, Right? The Bible can be hard to understand, but knowledge is important. Put this verse up here for me on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture, all of it, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, in this story of Paul and Eustace, it said that Paul was getting ready to leave them. And so he had talked on and on till midnight. And while even for those of us who love preaching as much as the next person, on till midnight is a long time. You know what? And some parts of the Bible are like long, right? And, and they can seem a little overwhelming, Knowledge is important. The Bible also says that the word of God does not return void. So you know what? Here's the thing. I can watch TV for two hours. It's going to return void. I'm not going to benefit from it in any way. But the knowledge of the word of God does not return void. So knowledge is important. We cannot discount the importance of the Word of God in our lives. We have to make time for it, and we have to value it. Now, here is where I plug Awana, because our Awana's kids, which is like kindergarten through um, sixth grade, in Awana, they are really like memorizing Scripture, And you know what? At five years old, they may not understand the relevance or the importance of that scripture that they are memorizing, but when they become 20 years old or even 50 years old and they need the word of God and they can recite that verse and they don't even remember when they learned it, but they learned it when they were little bitty and it's still stuck in their head, that's when we know that the word of God does not return void. It's important for them to know stuff. So at five years old, we have a memorized scripture, and they earn points, and they get to shop at the Awana store, and they think it's great, and they don't even know. It's like hiding spinach in a smoothie. They don't even know that they're getting what they need, but they are. But you know what? Sometimes as adults, 
it's like we know the spinach is in there, and so we already think it tastes gross. And that's the way it can be when we look at the Word of God. Sometimes we can be like, I have read this before. I, I just, what? But you know what? We have to make a decision to get in there and give it some value and realize that it is an important part to our faith, is an actual knowledge of the Word of God and what it says. And we have to value that. The second area of learning is psychomotor, which is not a crazy car rider, but it means physical action. The second part is physical action. Some students, I mean, they come alive and they really get it when you put something in front of them where they can manipulate it, right? Like science experiments, which some are fun, listen, but like I take a personal day practically when they dissect stuff at our school. Like fetal pigs, oh no. Uh Uh-uh, the only way I want to see a dead pig is barbecued and on a sandwich. I do not want to see it in its original state. I don't want to know what the brain looks like and the organs. I know. Okay. But for some kids, it's like, oh my gosh, it just opens up to them. They get it. You know what? I don't have to see a heart to know that it is inside of there. But for some people, they need that and it's good for them. But our, our physical action, some people learn by physical action. And we see in this story with Paul and Eustace that he had to diversify his teaching method. Once Eustace has fallen out of the window, you cannot really continue to just stand there and preach. Okay? You're going to have to acknowledge the situation. And I love what Paul did because he just went all out. He wasn't like, calm down. Do we have a nurse in the sanctuary? Nurses? Anybody a nurse? Right? Which is what we would, you know, if one of you falls out, I'd be like, Chrissy, Adrian, right over here. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go, we're going to continue on and let them handle it. But when a child falls out the window, it kind of just puts a stop on things. And so Paul switches modes, right? And it says that he literally runs down. Now, at the, by the time he gets down there, it says that they have picked the child up dead. There was no, like, is he okay? Maybe it's just a scratch. No, he had been picked up, and he was dead. And I'm just trying to imagine Paul right? Running like a crazy man out of the building and throws himself on top of this child, right? Throws himself on top of him and says, he's alive. Now, listen, you might be thinking, he's just crazy. He's trying to save this. But no, I really think, I mean, in that moment, let's listen. He was preaching a great message and he was on fire with the Holy Spirit inside of him. And in that moment, let me tell you something. Sometimes you have to acknowledge what the enemy is doing and realize that you're going to have to take some action. Like you're going to have to really do something. And so there is a power that comes in action. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their spiritual physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Listen, he couldn't say, well, tragedy, let's move on. 
He had to do something about it. He'd just been preaching about the power of Jesus Christ. So now came time for the experiment. It was time to show that there was action behind the words he had been preaching that whole entire time. And he threw himself on the body of this child and said that he is life and he is alive. Now let me tell you something. When it comes to certain points in our life, you are going to have to speak life over dead things. And you are also going to have to provide pressure to areas that are bleeding. If someone is bleeding, you have to provide pressure on that wound to keep the blood from pouring out. And when your spiritual life and your relationship with God is literally hemorrhaging and blood is running out of it and the life that you have between you and God is beginning to fade away, you need to put some pressure on it. You need to apply some pressure to that wound and you need to begin to speak life over it. So I told our youth one time we were talking about this story. I said, I am going to sit on you. I'm going to lean in on you. I'm going to be annoying to you. I am going to show up at your house and bang on your door. You better answer my text message. You're 14. It's always next to you. Don't act like it wasn't on. It was off. No, it was not. Mm -mm. I've seen that post. Autumn is teaching today. I found this picture reminded me so much of her. Of, I'm sorry I unplugged your life support, but I really needed to charge my phone. Let me tell you something. That's a teenager. They're going to be connected, right? But I'm going to tell you, sometimes we have to lean on people. But when we look at ourselves and realize that our relationship with God is hemorrhaging, and life is flowing out of it, then we better put pressure on it. And that requires action. You know what that means? What does action mean? It means going to someone and saying, I'm not doing well. I'm going to need you to pray for me. It means going to somebody and saying, I'm really not doing well. I'm going to need you to be accountable with me. I'm going to need that in my life. It means providing the pressure And it does mean serving people and meeting the needs of others. How can we call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ if we will not help those right in front of us who have needs? That we can help if we will not show people the love of Christ. You know, there's first responder rules. If you are a trained doctor, nurse, or physician and you come up upon something, you can't just leave. You take a vow and an oath that you will stop and help them. And the same needs to be true of us as Christians. And we need to realize that the moment we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we took a vow that says we will not pass on other people who are hemorrhaging life. We're going to stop and do whatever we can to lead them to Jesus Christ. It's not about programs. It's not about killing yourself, trying to feed every person in the neighborhood. It's about being aware of what is going on. It's about reaching out to people and serving people and realizing, you know what? Sometimes there may come a time where you have to throw yourself on somebody. Throw yourself on them. And while they're saying, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, you tell them you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. But it takes more than just our brains. It takes action. And that action has to go towards ourselves and the world. We cannot get there just by serving the world. We have to be willing to take action in our own lives. If your own marriage is falling apart, how are you going to help somebody else's? 
You have to be able to help and look and realize when you need to take action in your own life so that you can help other people as well. The third area of learning is affective, which means emotions. Now, some of you men are like, I don't have those. And listen, I don't know where we've gotten to this point where with men it's not okay to cry or show emotion. But boys are born with emotions. I mean, there's so much emotion in my house. And I am the only girl there. I mean, there's just so much emotion. And I know both my husband and I were theater majors, and people are like, oh, that's why your children are dramatic. No, I just think kids are dramatic. I just think that we are, you know, it's like, have you seen, like, kids who grow into their ears, right? And it's like you look at them when they're, like, three, and it's like they are all ears. But by the time they become an adult, that's not the case, right, because they grew into them. Well, I have become and begun to get to a place where I believe that we are born with all of our emotions, and it takes a long time to grow into them. Like we have as much anger, frustration, and love as at three years old as we will have at 30 years old, but it's almost too much for a three-year-old to handle. So when they get angry, it is like the Incredible Hulk, and they don't know what to do with it. And we are born with this emotion, which also means that emotions come from God. Our, when Jesus was here on earth, he experienced emotions. He was angry. He had grief. He was compassionate. He experienced emotions. Emotions are not our enemy. Emotions are a wonderful indicator of what's really going on in our life. Because you know what? When everything seems to be going okay around you and you are still angry, there's an indicator there. Something is going on. And I need to dig a little bit deeper. But our emotions are God-given. And listen, as a teacher, you really have to connect with emotions. And when you're teaching something that students do not care about, in education they call it making it relevant. Make it relevant to them. I'm like, well, there's just, I'm sorry. Transitive and intransitive verbs, it's not really relevant. Like, I cannot make that relevant. But what I can do is inspire them and connect with their emotions as a learner to understand that everything is important and valuable. That no knowledge is wasted. All knowledge makes us better. And that the frustration that they may be feeling is not an indicator that they're not smart enough. It's an indicator that they need to find a new way to learn it. And that their frustration it's okay to be frustrated. It was very interesting. My husband was talking about his students, and he teaches at the biggest high school here in Jackson. And he was talking about that, you know, in theater, they teach them about emotions, right, and learning how to portray all different kinds of emotions. And how when he asks his students to list emotions, it's happy, sad, and angry. And there's no in-betweens. And they're not taught how to have emotions or express them. And so there's no, like, even a warning sign that they are getting angry. They're just angry. 
So there's no understanding of the difference in the different kinds of anger. That one anger may be that you're furious and you're feeling threatened. And another kind of anger might be frustration. And that there's a difference between anger and frustration. But our kids nowadays, we're, we're ignoring their emotions and telling them to calm down. And we're not teaching them how to have emotions. And listen, when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to figure out what our emotions are telling us. Has anybody ever been frustrated with God? Am I the only? Like, yeah. Because I don't get it. Right? I don't. And there have been times where I'm very happy with God. And then there have been times where I don't know where I am. And my emotions seem to be confusing and they're controlling me. But I want to tell you something. If we can learn that we can't just realize that God and I aren't just good when I feel something and when I'm all stirred up and excited. But God and I can still be good even when I'm angry. Because he can be teaching me and working through me in that moment. My emotions have value and they're God-given. And they are a part of who I am, and they are a part of my relationship with God. It all works together. Jane, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1.7. One of my favorite verses, we pray this with our children at night. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And one of the things that we as students and teachers of the Word of God have to do, one of the things we have to do is teach people the difference between the emotions that God has given them and the emotions that the enemy is implanting in them to destroy them. So fear is an emotion, but is it a God-given emotion? No, it is not. And so we have to learn to teach the difference between those, that God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power. See and acknowledge the difference. Know what comes from God and what doesn't. Learn to acknowledge those emotions and use them in your relationship with God. Did Paul have some emotion here? Absolutely. Here's what I love. After he goes down there, throws himself on this kid, the kid comes back to life. What does it say that they do? They went upstairs and broke bread. Because if there was ever a time for a snack break, that was it right? Like, bring out the snacks. (laughs) Let's all have a moment here, right? It's like, you need a Snickers because you're not yourself and you're hungry. And this was bad. So Snickers for everyone, (laughs) right? (laughs) As teachers, it's donuts. We bring donuts for everyone, right? He had emotion right here. And it says that they broke bread together, he continued to teach until daylight. Well, that, that is a wake-up call, right? That'll wake you up. And then after that, it says that they all left encouraged and with peace. Their emotions were brought back into line. So here in this one night, let me tell you something. When Paul set out, no matter how in tune he was with God, when he set out to preach that message that night, he had no idea that was going to happen. And so he had to adapt And let me tell you, there are people I'm sure that he was preaching to that day who were listening to the words, the intelligent words that he was saying, and their heart was being moved by the words. And then I'm sure that there were people sitting there who were hearing what he was saying, and it was going one ear and out the other, and it wasn't connecting with them. But the moment that he took action and that boy was raised back to life, they saw that miracle. And for them, 
that is when they connected with who God was. And then there were some who probably even thought that that was staged and that was not real. But when they came back upstairs and they broke bread with people and they had community and relationship and they left realizing that they were feeling peace and they hadn't felt that before and they didn't even listen to what this guy was saying and this whole thing with this kid was really weird and how could that happen? But they feel peace and their emotions was connected, were connected with that that was the moment for them that they came to accept who God was because each of us learn different. Each of us experience life differently, but we need each aspect of our life to build a solid foundation. There are four types of teachers. There's the lecturer teacher who come in, you come in every day, you take notes. I had a professor at Union, you walked in every day, there were a hundred words written on the dry erase board. He would start at this end and he would lecture his way through them. (sighs) Listen, my GPA was not that great in my first semester at Union and that was part of the reason because I wrote those words down and then I went to the cafeteria and ate with my friends. Like, I could not sit, no. Mm -mm. He just lectured. So there are lecturer teachers and God bless them, they are so smart, but sometimes they can be boring. And then there's the experiment teachers who are always doing some crazy, over-the-top, differentiated instruction. I mean, they just have a million things happening, right? And they have somehow worked their lesson on diagramming sentences to include gummy worms and Skittles and everything else. And, I mean, it's just like overload. And then there are the teachers who are just the fun teachers, And you come in and they're like, hey, we're going to earn English this week, maybe, but let's just hang out and talk right now. Let's eat some donuts. Those are the teachers who in May, right before testing, are panicking. And you're doing 800 million worksheets and they're going to hope that you get something because they've been fun all year long. Right? Well, listen, all of those teachers on their own do not make anything effective. It really requires all of them. And the teacher who can learn how to lecture and give knowledge, the teacher who can learn to connect and inspire, and the teacher who can have fun and build relationship with their students, those are the most effective teachers. And listen, that night, if Paul had done any of those things on their own, they would have been ineffective and distracting. Like, if all he had done is preach that night, this story might not be in the Bible. Something tells me he preached a lot and those things weren't in there. If he had just ran up and thrown himself on some dead kid, uh, I don't know that that would have really gone over well either. And if all he had done was get together and break bread with a few people, it took all of those experiences together to create a powerful moment of learning and teaching worthy of being placed into the Word of God. It took it all. So how do you apply this to your life? Some of you, like application, right? I'm going to make it relevant. Buzzword, if you're playing teacher bingo with me today. Relevant, right? Professional development. You should be getting close to getting your little diagonal. Application. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. A verse that we've all been familiar with. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Next one. 
I don't have, next one, sorry. <laughs> we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So how do we apply this to our life? We realize that the Bible tells us that we're going to be pressed. And you know what? The only way to deal, what does it say? That we are pressed, but we are not crushed. That requires action. When your life is being pressed on, you're being pressed against, you have to be able to press back and push back. We are pressed, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. You know what? If you are perplexed, the only way to not be perplexed is to have the knowledge to figure it out. So you are going to be given the knowledge to figure it out. You're going to be persecuted. And let me tell you something. That messes with your emotions when people persecute you. And listen, I know persecution, we, we, don't, we don't understand persecution in the United States. But I have a dear friend who lives in California, and she's getting ready to move. And her neighbor from upstairs put a note on her car that said, so glad the crazy Christian is leaving. Hope you terrorize your next neighbors. I mean, it was, just, it was horrible. And listen, she's not even some crazy Christian. I, I, you know what I mean. And in that moment, oh, how her emotions were crushed. That someone who didn't even know her disliked her that much as to celebrate that she was leaving. When we experience persecution, our emotions are crushed. But God did not give me a spirit of power, but a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then it says, and when you are struck down, you are not destroyed. Because you know what? Like Eustace, we are all going to fall out the window sometime. But we are not destroyed. Because thankfully, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of heaven, and the Holy Spirit is here. And while you may not have Paul to run to you and throw his physical body on top of your physical broken body, when your spirit and your soul is broken, the Holy Spirit throws himself upon you, and he will put pressure on your wounds, and he will hold you, he will protect you from the words of the outside world. He will shield you, and he will hold you tight, and he will not let you be destroyed. So, can we apply this to our life? Absolutely. Death is always working in us, but life too. We are lifelong learners. You don't quit learning when you graduate from high school or you graduate from college. You are a lifelong learner. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and if you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, then today is your day to make that choice and that, tr that transition in your life to follow Jesus Christ. But it's committing yourself to being a lifelong learner, a lifelong student of the word, a lifelong be person who acknowledges their emotions and gives God the credit for them and makes them line up with the word of God. It's about being a person who dedicates the rest of their life to showing other people the love of Christ. It is a lifelong commitment. And the great thing is, it's, it's not something that returns void or robs from you, like most commitments, right? Like when you sign that car loan, and you know you're getting this car, but for the next five years, it's going to be stealing money out of your pocket. That's not the kind of commitment. When you make a lifelong commitment with God, there is no loss on your part, only gain. 
And so this lifelong commitment to learning about God is a lifelong commitment to grow in who you are and to become a better person and to see yourself becoming more and more like Christ the more you dig yourself in. Listen, as a teacher, don't be afraid to lean in. God's placed someone in your life, whether it's your children, because let me tell you, if you're a parent, you're a teacher. And sometimes that's so exhausting because they, they need to learn things all the time, right? Have you, have you seen those things my mom, because my mom, she still has the original iPhone 3. It's, it's quite amazing. Everybody, we were somewhere last night and all these like college kids were fascinated by it. They couldn't believe she still had this iPhone 3. And she showed me this little picture that said, don't make fun of me for having, you having to show me how to use my phone. I taught you how to use a spoon. Right? Like, I mean, seriously, as a parent, you are teaching all the time. You never stop teaching your kids. Because as your kids get older, then you need your parents to teach you how they didn't kill you when you were a teenager. How did you survive me? Right? We are lifelong teachers, and if God has placed children in your life, that you're their parent, you're a teacher. And the fact is, is that if you know Jesus Christ in any way, you're a teacher to anybody around you. Because when you go through hard things and you're okay, people are going to want to know how you did that, how you made it through. You are a teacher, so lean in. And as a student, realize today that you need God and that you need to learn and that you can't neglect something like a relationship with God. You know, students forget so much over the summer. You have to go back and refresh. In the beginning of every year, you are reminding them of what they have already learned. And watching Miss Jackie teach our preschoolers how to walk in a line down the hallway, it is every year at the beginning of the year. I mean, they are like a zigzag mosh pit coming down the hallway. But by October, they got it. And they are walking in that line. Now, in August of next year, she will have to remind them. But here's the thing. The first ones that are in there, it takes a long time for them to figure it out. Like our three-year-olds, oh, they are something else. But see, the four-year-olds now, because they've already done this for a year, they got reminded, and now they're helping getting those three-year-olds in line. Right? And they're helping guide them along. And as people who are learning constantly about the things of God, it means that the more we know, the more we can get our life back on track when we need to quicker. And the more we can help other people to get their life on theirs. But it requires a commitment to lifelong learning. And when we neglect it, we forget. And the longer we go without being together in the body of Christ, the longer we go without being in the Word, the longer that we go without acknowledging our emotions and getting them straight with God, the longer we go without helping people and serving people and loving people and fellowshipping with people, the more we forget. We have to constantly stir ourselves up. So today, I just want to call, make a call for you to just acknowledge (laughs) that you need a relationship with God that's deep. Not surface. It's not built on a Sunday morning lesson. It's not built on a devotional. It's not built on you going out and helping somebody. That it's deep. And it's interwoven together. And there's many parts to it. And you need God to be your teacher. 
and you need to stir up all those different things in your life. So I want to end today as I read 1 Peter 1.13. Every year I love to have verses for my students. One of my favorites is Colossians 3.23, do everything that you do as though you were doing it for God and not for man. Because somehow if I'm like, mm, if you were turning this assignment into the Lord, would you be as frustrated right now as you are with me? Sometimes it helps, not always, but it's a good principle nonetheless. 1 Peter 1.13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, minds that are full of knowledge, emotions that are not wavering and making us have a stumble through life, alert. May we set our hope on grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Listen, if you are feeling unbalanced today, if you're feeling like your relationship with God is a little off kilter, maybe you've got some areas that are missing in your relationship with God and you need them to be balanced. I want to pray for you today that God will bring balance to your life. Our God is a God of order, not disorder. That he will bring balance to your relationship with him. A sturdiness, a firmness will be brought to that relationship. But today I want to acknowledge that there may be some people in here who have fallen out the window. And like Eustace, you are broken. And you maybe feel like that you are so broken you don't even know if you can get up. And you just need the Holy Spirit to throw himself on you and to speak over your life that you're alive. Today, I just want to pray for you. I want to let my words fall on you and let power fall on you. I want to speak over you today that you're alive and you are not dead. And no matter how far you've fallen and how broken you are, God has never given up on you. And even when other people say you're dead, he blocks them out and he screams, you are alive. Today, I just want us to acknowledge our need for God. Oh, how many times a day do we say we need something? I need more milk. I need Sharpies. I need Post-it notes. <laughs> I need to find my other shoe. <laughs> How many times a day do we say the word, I need? But how often do we really say, I just need God. I just need you, God. So I don't want you to stand this morning. I want you to just sit where you are, stretch your hands to heaven if you want to, bend forward if you need to, whatever. I want us to just take a deep breath this morning and call out for God. God, this morning I come before you on the behalf of myself and all my brothers and sisters today. And God, we need you. Help us to be good students of our relationship with you. God, give us a hunger for the knowledge of your word. Give us a hunger and a desire to seek out understanding. God, help us to have the strength and the wisdom to acknowledge our emotions, to see them, and to have them come into line with who you have created us to be. And Lord, give us the wisdom 
and the eyes to see the needs that we can reach out and help. But Father, also help us to take action in our own lives when we need it. To step out and make big changes if we need to make them. Lord, help us to be students of you. And Lord, today I pray for anyone sitting here who is broken. Lord, we have all been broken. And if it wasn't for you, we would not be able to stand up in your presence. So Lord, this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on each and every person here and that those who are broken right now, God, that they would almost feel the weight of your presence as it presses down on them. That they would feel the pressure of your Holy Spirit as he begins to push and hold on to the wounds that have broken them and as he begins to stop that hemorrhaging of their life out of them that right now, God, you begin to just heal them and that in their brokenness right now they would begin to begin to feel whole again, that they would begin to feel a newness and life rushing back into their body, that the areas that have been broken and painful will begin to fuse back together and be stronger and healthier than they were before. God, we take a moment. We have listened to your word, and God, I ask that you would begin to move on behalf of your people, that you would fall upon them and heal them the way that only you can. This morning, God, for whoever needs it, I declare you are alive. You are alive. You are not permanently broken. You are alive. I speak it over you today. Let my words come into your heart today as the voice of God telling you that you are alive. I thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit rest upon us. And that our minds will be alert, fully sober, set on your hope and the grace to be brought when you come again. I thank you, Lord, for showing us who we are, loving us anyway, and continuing to work on us. And I thank you today for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I thank you for all the Eustace, all of us Eustaces sitting out here today. That we are not broken and we are not dead. We are alive through Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me today as we close out with our benediction.